Well, today is the first Sunday in this new year, and we appreciate God that I know we got a couple of visitors there. Um, folks, what's your name? We're a small church. We like to know everybody that's here. Hi, good morning. My name is Leah. Leah and Kyle? Yeah. Leah and Kyle, very good matching names. Leah and Kyle, <laughs> glad to have you here. I hope I don't bore you because this morning I want to talk about some practical things for church. Thank you. Glad you're here. Yeah, we are, as we head into this new year, I want us to reorganize ourselves. And I think after COVID-19 uh, stalled the church for approximately two years in total, and then the third year we were able to catch up on a few things. I feel we need to get back to where we were prior to COVID-19. And that is, we need to have the church organized in such a way, not just mechanically getting things operating, but have the church organized in such a way that we can have um, proper staffing. Uh, the other day, I was thinking that uh, for us to be able to organize the church, one of the things we must uh, pursue is church attendance. Um, when we talk about true discipleship, we cannot serve God at our convenience, even though it is what we will use to serve the Lord. Our time, we occupy jobs, we are, we are tied up with various activities. But to serve God, we must make time out for God. And like that, I'd like to remind you that when we came to Canada in 1980, and started a church, uh, continued with the little work that was existing at that time in College Street in Toronto. We had a little storefront that was already used as a little place for church. And we started there, and then we moved to a Dufferin Presbyterian Church. We rented the basement, the people did not use their church. When we had a convention, we used the entire building. And then from there, we purchased our first building at Kenmure Avenue, just about 10 minutes drive from here, a small 700 square foot church. And then eventually we got here, um, 20, about 26 years ago, we bought this building. And from 700 square foot, we came into 7,000 square foot up here, 7,000 square foot. Downstairs, it's about 6,000 square feet. And Brother Joe has an apartment down there, and Brother Terry lives down there. And you'll be surprised to know that under that dining room, there's a gymnasium that is made into a church. And a Filipino church uses that place. It's massive. It's beautiful, uh, set up, and they take pride in, in um, organizing themselves. And so that church exists there. But I remember the days when we started... I used to want church every day. That's me. I had a secular job that I did, and it was 40 hours a week, and I worked with the church full-time. And I'll tell you what we did. We had church on a Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock, and it went to about 3.30. And then we had church Sunday evening at 7.30, and full church, full band. 
we had a band, full band playing. And then we had church on a Saturday night at 7.30. And then we had prayer meeting. No, we had church on a Wednesday night, 7.30. So we're talking about four services, real full services. Um, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock. Sunday night, 7.30. Saturday night, 7.30. And Wednesday night, 7.30. Then I had a prayer meeting on Tuesday and Thursday. Every Tuesday and Thursday we had prayer meeting. Prayer is a very important element for the church to progress. If a church is prayerless, that church is powerless. And when I use the word power, I'm not talking about wild zeal and enthusiasm that people start to run wild in the church and hit themselves against the pews. I'm talking about the real power of God existing in a church. I'm talking about a power that brings healing and deliverance. And when I say healing, uh, for me, I was talking to Brother Brindley uh, just um, two days ago. Uh, he called because he heard I'm doing a procedure this month, and he wanted to come to be here. Um, he said, I'm going to not bother you. I'll rent a hotel, and I'll stay in that hotel, but I'll be there to drive Sister Chandri to and fro. If you're hospitalized for two days or three days, I'll be driving her. I would not bother you. If you're not available on a Wednesday night, I'll come here and talk to the church. I think that's a wonderful um, voluntary uh, commitment that a person has. But I told him, I said, no, you don't need to do that. I don't want you to come when I'm immobilized. I want you to come when I'm available on the weekend and you can be here in church and we can have church. Because I said, we have enough people to carry on church on a Wednesday night. And uh, Brother... While I was talking to him, I told him, I said, you know, people, we need people that are committed. And I pray to God that God would give us people that are dedicated and committed. And I said to him, I said, Brother Brantley, you know, there was a time when we had the power of God. And I'm due for a procedure at the ending of this month, the 24th of this month. And in my mind, I'm thinking it would be nice if I don't have to do a procedure. It would be nice if the doctor tells me, you don't need it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Have we had situations in this church where the doctors tell you something and God says otherwise? Uh, the last thing my family doctor said to me before he retired three months ago was that, Mr. Singh, uh, um, your family has a tendency, nine kids in the family, and you have a tendency of having clogged arteries. And he says, I want you to go to a cardiologist I'm recommending, and I want her to do a thorough job on you. I said, okay, doctor, if you think that's so, because I know it runs in my family. Heart attack is in your family. But you see, I think Jesus makes the difference. Family line can tell you so, but when God comes in your life, I think he can change the, the genes like they see out in the world. And so I did. I went to the cardiologist, very, and uh, she is very smart. And she says, I'm of the new school. And so she did. I take, took almost two months of doing tests, all kinds of tests. I said, what are you doing with my neck? She says, arteries. What are you doing with my chest? 
arteries this way, my ha hands, arteries. What are you doing to my legs, arteries? She checked arteries every way and then she called me back and I said, oh God, this is gonna be bad news. I didn't have the faith to believe God. God did not need my faith to work in my life. Isn't that something? He did not need my faith. He's got a plan for me and he will promise to keep me. I went in, she looked at me, she says, Mr. Singh, you got a throat infection. I said, yes, I know I have a throat infection. I preach for 50 something years and every allergy season I have allergies. She said, yeah. I said, I take care of that, that's no problem. She says, Mr. Singh, your heart pumps blood like if you're 45 years old. There's no trace of clogs in your arteries. She said, your arteries are working fine. What do you do? And I wouldn't tell you what I told her. But she said, what do you do? And I think that's a good report. You were there with me. We did not know what we'll hear, but I feel God is good. And when we think about God and we think about the work of God, we're thinking of, are we moving on in God or are we deteriorating in our dedication and commitment? You started as a disciple. Are you a better disciple today or have you diminished in your church attendance and commitment to God? See, the Christian life, it's like a pathway and we have a goal set before us. We have a start and we have a finish line. And Paul says, I've not yet apprehended that which the Lord has apprehended me for. He says, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth and what scripture is that? You got that? Philippians, the third chapter, uh, somewhere there about eight or nine verse. He says, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press towards the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What verse? Verse 14. We got it. Paul says, uh, back up. He says, I have not yet apprehended. What verse is that? Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. To apprehend means to take a hold of. He says, but this one thing I do, I forget the things which are behind, that's past, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for a price the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I am pressing, I'm not there yet. Guess what, I'm not there yet. But when I'm looking back where I'm coming, I have improved. Now I'm saying that because I want you to check where you're going. Look back from the days you got started and where you are today and um, uh, had two young men there visiting with us. Uh, you're not visited. You're a member now or what? Raiden <laughs> and Reese. Uh, Raiden told me the first time he came and he's been coming about a month. About a month. He says, I want to come to church. We like this church and I'm not going to miss a service. And guess what? He hasn't missed a service. And I told him, he says, when I make a promise, I keep the promise. I'm waiting for you to slip. But here he is, and he has never missed a service. That's what he told me. And 
I wish some of us that has been, we have been around for a long time. Uh, I'm looking at the church, two families of five missing here today that needs to be in church. But they live a little ways off and they chose to make decisions. I'll talk a little bit about all of that before church comes to an end today. But you notice I'm putting scripture into my talk even though I'm organizing. So for us, uh, to attend church and be there. I want a scripture in Hebrews. I think the 10th chapter of Hebrews where Paul says forsake not the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm not sure which verse. Um, I have my Bible open up but I prefer to just let them find the scripture. So, uh, he says uh, Paul is writing to the to the church, to the Hebrews. They're not a church of the Hebrews, but they're Hebrews. Uh, he was addressing this particular epistle to the Jews as well as to some Gentiles, but basically the Jews. And everybody read together with me. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. What that means? Coming to church. Paul said that 2,000 years ago. He says, not forsaking the assembly, assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. He says, as we head towards the end of the age, we cannot afford to miss any one of these lectures in our spiritual university. If you miss the lectures in your university as you're seek, seeking a master's degree or a bachelor's degree, you will not make the grade. You've got to get that lesson in. And that is why I appreciate the Lord using Brother Joe McCormick sitting at the back, who I met 20-something years ago um, in prison. I met him in prison. Um, he was doing some time. And uh, uh, he was one of those smart guys in prison. He's not a murderer or anything like that, but he was in prison uh, because he's one of the smart guys that the government is afraid of. You want to know his crime? If you said yes, I'd say you're nosy. My brother Joe was in prison and I met him. I was doing, I was doing time and um, no, I wasn't doing time. I had a prison ministry. I was visiting prisoners. One time I baptized six prisoners in prison and the chaplains that run the prison got upset with me. Why is he baptizing our people right in prison? In those days we'd have uh, Sister Chandri and Indira and uh, some, who else? Brother John, you went, right? Brother Sam, you went, yes. We had visitors going. And uh, it is so good that we are reaching up. But Brother Joe, he left his family in Coburg and comes and he's living in the basement of the church. We charge him a rent, even though he built the apartment. He built the apartment with his own money. We charge him a rent. No, he wants to pay the church a little rent uh, for his survival. But he has put the messages that I preach on Spotify and they are available on Spotify over almost 400 messages available on Spotify. If you go on Spotify, you can log in to my gospel at Desmond R. Singh. Um, 
It's over 600? Almost. Almost six. Did I preach all of that? In three years. We started in the year, uh, in May or something like that, in the year 2020. Prior to that, I've got hundreds or, or maybe thousands of messages that I preached to this assembly. I have not failed. And so when I'm thinking of spiritual progress, I have not failed in moving on. COVID-19 did not affect me. It did not give me a reason not to. I always look for the reason to. And when the situations are negative around me, I think they're given to me by God so I can conquer them. Many, many years ago, Sister Chandri, before we were even married, she wrote me and said to me, it takes stormy waters. She got a quotation from somewhere. I was going through as a young man. I wasn't married. I was about 20, 20, 19, 20 years old, running, uh, pastoring a district with about seven little churches. And I was in charge of three churches. And I had some problems. People thought I was too young to tell them what to do. And so she wrote a, a, a letter to me, and it says it takes, she quoted, she says, it takes stormy waters to produce skilled sailors. I remember that. Uh, that is over almost 50-something years ago. 52 years ago. It takes stormy waters to produce skilled sailors. And guess what? When I see a storm, I face the storm. I adjust my sails accordingly. And they have helped me to grow stronger and more persistent in the things I do. And if you can follow some of my good examples, uh, you will be able to make yourself stronger in God and in society. And so when I'm thinking of where I'm going, I have not forgotten the goal. I'm closer to the goal today than I ever was. COVID-19 strengthened me. And I'm glad, you know, if I had COVID-19 or I got sick with the virus and me and Chandri, we got sick with the virus, we'd have said, okay, well, we got it, but we'll still survive. Because the government did not know if I had a virus, I'd still come and preach. I didn't, but I still came and preached. We did not miss a single service during the period of the lockdown. I was here, I preached, and I preached. And Brother Joe is saying we have over 600 messages that you can access and on Spotify. And you can, well, Brother is saying, I don't look at Spotify, I don't look at Facebook. I'm on Facebook too. My Facebook page is called Faith. F-E-I-T-H, book. And, um, I, was, I was not really going to go on Facebook, but if you go on my page on Facebook, you'll find all kinds of messages and the Word of God. I will preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and still I can't preach no more. Sister Eileen asked me that one time. She says, Brother Singh, when would you retire? And I looked at her, and she's gone now, but I said, when I expire, I will retire. 
She says, I know you'll tell me something like that, but that's the truth. That's, that's exactly, I pray that God would strengthen me and give me strength to endure to the end. And so we have challenges, but if we're to move on and do things accordingly, church attendance is a priority. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And then after church attendance, that's fine. After church attendance, uh, supporting the church financially. Church attendance is, is supporting the church uh, numerically, uh, being there in the church numerically. But then we must support the church financially. And if I was a con man, I'd stand here and say, who would give $200? And I pray that God would bless you. See, one day we were in Florida, Chandri and I, we, we were visiting Florida. I think we were taking a vacation, right, Indy? And we put the TV on, and this preacher was on, and he was preaching like this. He says, brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you what the Lord really wants from you. He says, you let the Lord bless you. Send me an offering. And when your offering comes, he says, if you send $300 or $500 when that offering comes, I'll take your envelope and I'll lay my hands on it and I pray and God will bless you. Well, <clears throat> a news group and discovered the letters did not even come to him. It went to some... Uh, financial group that he had they take your letter they take the money out bang the check and throw the envelope away and it was such a con no that's not what I'm telling you here I will never tell you to support the church if I don't support the church myself this church is supported by the tithes and offerings and over uh, we've been here over 40 years in Canada uh, 43 years right total came in in 1980 43 years in Canada and God has helped us we don't have a big bank account but we have never bounced a check we have never begged for money we have never asked passed one to the neighborhood and asked them no 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 we never run a, a kind of a public fundraising no we never done that we survive on personal dedicated offerings that the people give and uh, I was telling the church on Wednesday night that of all the individuals in this church and I'm I'm a pensioner uh, sister Chandri we're up in age um, sister Vanessa guess my age you guess good <laughs> that because I told you all last week I'm 70, 74 years old. And being 74, I was cautioned not to think I'm 35 by the doctor. He says, don't think you're 35. He says, you are 74. And I can still climb a ladder. I can still be on top of the roof of the church. I can still do a million things. And Raiden and Reese, I cannot work you guys after the procedure before I could I still now I could do it 
like everybody snow is falling and everybody's telling me you're not going to get up early in the morning and do it because i like to do that snow stuff at uh, brother joe sent a message to me he said the church is done <laughs> so that otherwise i'll get into my van come down to the church and see if we need to shovel the snow away god has been good to me and this past year, I boast in the fact that I was the best supporter of this church financially than anyone else. Now you know why I'm healthy. Now you know why I'm, I'm always standing with a message to preach. Always. If Guinness World Record would give a, a record for man preaching too long or having a long, I can do it. I have so much information stocked into this heart of mine and my head that I can talk about this Bible with it closed for hours and hours and hours. And that's because God has been good to me because I have been committed to the work of God. So if we organize the church, we need church attendance, we need people supporting the church, and then we can organize an ushering staff. We can have men and women ushering in the church uh, with a badge. I told Brother Terry, Tom Brun, I said, we'll make a badge for you, and it'll say usher. And when church is, uh, is on, uh, before, if Brother Thomas is not here, you come and stand here. And I told Brother Sam, he needs to have an ushering meeting with the brothers in the church. And once every, once, uh, on every Sunday, a different elder should work as an usher. I think it'll be good. We don't have the staff, like 20 people we, to do that. So one elder. And what it does, it gives you brothers a sense of responsibility. And when you stand as an usher, you're there to meet the needs of the people. What does an usher do? An usher prepares the ground, uh, the church and the attendance and the people get you organized for the service. Uh, the band plays the music, and we have a good band when they all are here and they play, they can play good music. Don't you think so, Brother Moses? Yes, they can play good music. And so when the band is playing and, the, and all of that is done, it's for the preparation of the hearts to receive the Word of God. And all of that must be done because God organizes Himself. Jesus did not come randomly. The scripture says when the, when the time was fulfilled, God sent his son. Uh, God works with principles that he operates by. And Jesus made a statement in Matthew 24. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until that flood came and took them away. Now, what God did when God was building that ark, when he told Noah to build that ark, I wrote down the measurements uh, that Noah had. Uh, the ark, God says, I want you to build an ark. 450 feet long that is four times a little over four times the length of this church he says the width must be 75 feet wide and we're looking at 35 double almost little over double the width of this church 
And the height must be 45 feet high. 45 feet high. 450 feet long. 75 feet wide. 45 feet high. And a door at the side of the ark. Uh, it had windows, of course. Um, the King James translation is not always precise on some of these things. But it had windows. And if Noah had built it otherwise, then God said it would have sunk. See, God is very precise. When Jesus wanted to turn water into wine, he says, fill six water pots. But you know, we have always used seven in the past. No, no, no. He said six water pots. When he stood one day and saw the disciples washing their nets because they went out fishing, he says, have you caught anything? And they said, nothing. We toil all night. He says, take your net that you just washed and launch, put it at the side of the boat, the right side of the boat. Not the left, the right. God is always precise. And they, they said, we toil all night. Peter says, I'm a fisherman, Lord. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. He said, Jesus said, right side. And he says, because you're saying it, I'm putting it down. And when he pulled... There was fish that he could not even contain. There are things that God wants that is different than what we want. You see, we want to serve God the way we want. We can't do that. If you want to graduate eventually as an overcomer, then you've got to go God's way. And it's not easy to give up your own selfish ways and pursue God's ways. If we're to organize the church... We've got to find out what God wants and do it his way. One day, uh, there was a man, uh, Naaman, he had leprosy. He was a very noble man in his own community. And he had leprosy. Doctors could not help him. And so he went to Elisha. And Elisha was living in a tent. A prophet, prophets back there did not hobnob with the people that live. He lived in a tent. And while he was in the tent, someone came and says, Naaman, that great nobleman is out here. Uh, am I right, Naaman? Uh, he wants, he has leprosy and he needs healing. And Elisha sent out a servant. He says, go tell him to go into the river Jordan and dip seven times. Now, if you're a dignitary, you want the man himself to come and tell you. Well, the man himself don't really care to come and tell you. When, you. when God gives you the ministry of a prophet, you don't always feel you need to shop for everything. That's right. Other people can do that, but you don't feel like. I told Brother Brinkley when he was talking to me. He says, I'm going to go back and tell my church to pray for you. What's the problem? I said, I don't discuss my problems with the public and I don't believe in people praying for me that I don't have confidence in. I said, if I go to a meeting and there are 40 ministers there, I said, most of the time, I only think three or four are called of God. The rest are occupying offices. I said, so I would never go and ask a man to pray for me that I have no confidence in. He might put demons on me rather than healing me. So pray for me in your private. You should always pray for me. And you saints that I'm talking to today, when you pray for the people you don't like every day, you will change your attitude and like them. 
When you pray for church attendance, so God help the church to have proper attendance, you will attend. When you pray, oh God, help us, our financial department, you would support the church. When you pray for something sincerely, you would come become obligated to fulfill that in your own life. That is why Jesus said, bless them that curse you. And pray for them that despitefully use you. Bless and curse not. Because human beings have a tendency, you either come my way or take the highway. No. We need to go God's ways. We need to develop Christian characteristics. We don't need to follow some sports guy on television. When I say sports guy, I'm talking about preachers. And we don't need to make idols of the people in society. We need to make Jesus the one that we follow. Have his empathy, have his sympathy, have his patience, have his long-suffering, have his spirit. His spirit is tender and meek and gentle. It's not wild. Scripture says, God said in the scriptures, reverence my sanctuary. If we're to worship God, we're serving a dignitary. And I respect God more than I respect the prime minister. I respect God more than I respect the President of the United States. I respect God more than I respect the boss on the job. And so I please God with priority. Amen. And that's me. As you grow in God, you'll find that it changes your way of thinking. And you put God on the highest pedestal in your life. If you get more excited about a sports star than you get excited about serving God, something, you're not there yet. In time you'll get there. Idolatry of this day is very subtle. It could be your face. could be your job. could be your money in the bank. could be your automobile could be your wife or your husband could be your grandkids idolatry is subtle today and you've got to be you can be involved in idolatry and worship before, before you even realize it simple idolatry i've got a watch it's about 800 dollars for this little watch see this stuff i like my watch slim Really and truly. When I wear a thick watch, it's because somebody gave me. But I like a slim watch. I had a Timex that was so slim, it you could wonder where to put the battery in. And I still have it. It's not working anymore. I kept it. And so I wear my watch like that. I wear it on the inside. You wear your watch, however. It's not a sin to wear your watch. But if you're wearing the watch for people to see, right? <clears throat> How are you all doing? If you're wearing your simple watch just for people to see, it has lost its purpose. I, I wear my watch like my dad. I wear it on the inside because, I, you know, I get arthritis trying to go that way. So I just see it and I'm gone. What are you saying, Brother Singh? I'm saying that the age we're living in is very subtle. 
We don't have a devil that's painted in red and wearing a red garment and has a pitchfork in his hand coming in. But he could be sitting in church and you don't realize him realize it and he could be talking to you and you don't understand because today he is an angel of light Paul says preaching the gospel and so unless you have your senses exercise Paul said in Hebrews to discern between good and evil you might be calling evil good and call good evil for you to develop in God it's an effort that must be put in that pursuit of godliness and holiness and so when we think about this we think about all these areas of the word of God uh, so ushering the staff we need an ushering staff we need uh, to uh, be like we were in the days gone by where we have an ushering staff we need a backup in every department and I told Brother Joe that, I said, if you die today, can someone take over you what you're doing, or would that just be lost? I told Sister Indira, I said, if you, you drop dead today, would someone be able to take that over, or would that be lost? Uh, every department, if you're operating in a department, we always need a backup, someone trained to take over. You understand? When I put this table, my desk over there, and I sit there and look at the elders, I'm hoping to find someone with that calling that if I'm gone, they can take it over. I'm praying because I'm not going to be living forever. I don't plan to die in a hurry. I mean, my heart is pumping blood. I could die still tomorrow. But um, you understand what I'm saying? All the, the men of God. Paul says, he says, after my, he says, I'm worried that after my departure, uh, that's in, in um, Ephesians, I think. No, that's Acts chapter two, 20. Acts chapter 20. He says, he says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Acts chapter 20. He says, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He says, and, um, what verse? 27. 27, verse 27. Uh, let's flash it up there. Uh, verse 27, he says, For I have not shunned. He's, Paul was exiled from Ephesus. And while he was in exile, he came close to Ephesus, and the elders from Ephesus came to meet him at a certain location. And then he's talking to them. He says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you, he was the pastor for a while, three years in Ephesus. He says, I've not shunned to declare to you all the counsel of God. I have not shunned to declare unto this congregation all the counsel of God. It's not a subject I failed to touch. I have done a good job preaching the gospel. That is why in three years we have 600 messages on Spotify. 600. And then he says, next. He says, um, next verse, he says, take heed therefore unto yourselves. Now it's okay to tell people take heed. You take heed now. No. Paul says take heed first of all to yourself. Before you're ready to criticize anyone, criticize yourself. My mama was a good Christian lady. She passed away. And she said, every time you point your finger like this on someone, remember, three fingers are pointing back at you. 
So why don't you examine yourself first before you stick your finger and condemn somebody? As mom, good woman. Uh, you know, she's not here anymore, but she did a good job on some of us. But is that my right? Yes, sir. Yeah, she did. Uh, Paul says, take heed unto yourself. And then take heed, if you're elders, over the congregation. Don't lead the people in a ditch. See, if I pass away, and Brother Sam and Brother John, and Brother Moses, or whoever is there, take over the church. Don't build on another foundation. Lead the people to godly, to godly lifestyle. The best advice you can give to anyone is a good example. Your example speaks louder than your mouth. Don't say, do as I say, but don't do as I don't. No, you've got to shine light. You've got to be the one setting the example. So take heed unto yourself, first of all, then unto the congregation. I'm not here to follow Dale Carnegie's principle. He wrote a book that says how to win friends and influence people. Technically, it's how to use influence, uh, uh, use, uh, win friends and use people. If I know how to manipulate your mind to get you to do what I want, that's manipulation, isn't it? Don't do that. Don't stand here just to win friends and influence people. Find out what God wants you to do to save the people. Don't compromise the gospel. So take heed, first of all, to your own godliness, your own dedication, your own submission, your own example that you're giving to the people and also to the congregation. Over which the Holy Ghost, not a committee, not a board of directors, but the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the flock. Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the flock of God which he had purchased with his own blood. Next verse. He says, for I know this. I'm not guessing. Isn't there something? The man of God that pastored that church in Ephesus for three years, he says, I know. Sometimes I know things I can't tell you. But I know it. And yet at the same time, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Isn't that what the scripture says? And except he keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. There's nobody here can destroy this church or undermine the church if God does not want you to. If this is a church that God wants to exist and you try to undermine it, he'll remove you. That's not my job. That's his job. I preach the word. I love you. Sometimes I think even the devil thinks I'm not a bad guy. Because I don't blame the devil for my incompetence. If I lie, miracle, when I lie, I am blamed for my lie. Not the devil. The devil can make me do nothing against my own will. Satan made me do it. No, no, no. You did it because you're full of lust and you're full of evil. The devil is an instrument that God has put to give you the negative thought 
to make you a stronger person that overcomes that negative thought. Don't blame the devil. Blame yourself for your own incompetence. Are you following me this lesson today? And, and this is important. So Paul says, I know this, that after my departure, after I'm gone, whether in death or departed out of the city, he says, grievous, he didn't say this, two-legged wolves. These are not four-legged wolves. These are two-legged wolves. He's talking about individuals. It's not wolf in, it's, it's wolf in sheep clothing, but then sometimes a sheep can put on wolf's clothing. He says, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, and this is what happens. And sometimes I wonder, I look at the fellowship that we're a part of, and I've got a few minutes left to go here today. I look at the fellowship that we're a part of, and I followed a man, his name was Lloyd Goodwin. Uh, he was a human being, he had flaws. He did not have half the flaws that David had, but he had flaws. He was a human being, he had weaknesses, and he, I knew him, I never got intimate with him, but we traveled together. And he taught me about 60 to 80% of the doctrines that I know. He was a good man, he passed away. And he was a little bit, a touch of German he had in him. And when he says to his staff, jump, you don't question him, you say how high. The only person that didn't jump when he says jump was me. And I was one of his most faithful, dedicated disciples. And he learned that when he says jump, I never said how high. Especially if it's disobeying God to jump. I don't jump. And he learned to accept me and he became a father to me. And when he died, the almost big amazing church that he had almost 400 to 500 people it went under it got split three ways no it got split two ways and then the one split that went one way got split another three ways and you see that is when you force people he told me he says convince a man against his will and he'll be of the same opinion still and so today I preach a gospel that you've got to make up your mind if you want it. You've got to make up your mind what changes you want. You've got to do that. I preach. I just preach. And I'm preaching what I feel God has placed in my heart. And when I preach like this, uh, when someone says, well, you've you got to be a little more soft. You're telling me? I listen to God. Who do I listen to? You or God. You see, the church is not a democracy where the people tell the preacher what to preach. Where the tail wags the dog. Where the feet does the thinking. The church should operate as a theocracy where God directs the church what to do. 
That's the difference. And that is why today we are here. And he says, grievous will shall enter among you, not sparing the flock. People come in and try to drive you away. And that's what happens when a man dies that is leading a congregation. Next verse, also of your own selves. Paul said, I know this. After your own selves, people would, men would arise, preaching, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. We're talking about people in the ministry here. Are you following me? I'm getting boring now, right? All right, I'm going to finish soon. And he says, therefore, watch and remember how many years I spent talking to you. And so back here, thanks for the scripture. Uh, back here uh, to getting back to the subject. So we, we need to understand these things. We're a church and as we move ahead, we want to make sure that we're moving ahead with a structure in mind. I'd like to see the church come back to where it was prior to COVID-19 and then improve itself. Uh, in Revelation, it says, there was given unto me, John wrote in chapter 11 of Revelation, he said, there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod. Chapter 11, verse 1. He said, there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod. And the Lord said unto me, and the angel said unto me, uh, and the angel stood saying unto me, rise. John is having a vision. And he's given a measuring stick. And the angel says, rise and measure three things. He says, measure the temple, that is the church. That is why we can't have a committee telling the church what to do. I had a lady one time, I was in Dufferin Street and she came and she attended the first service and then she came, Sister Eunice, after the church was done. She says, you know, brother, saying, she was Jamaican, she didn't say that, like, brother, saying. She says, you know, pastor, in our church, the sisters run the service, and then we give the preacher 20 minutes to preach. She had a gall to come and tell me that. And she stood there and she told me, in our church, that's what we, did, we do. I said, well, my dear sister, this is not your church. In my church, I give the sisters and the saints 20 minutes to testify, and then I preach as long as I want and then she never came back the tail should never wag the dog the congregation should never tell the preacher what to preach and Paul said there comes a time when people will not endure sound doctrine but after their own itching ears they want teachers that they would be pleased with in Isaiah they went up to Isaiah uh, the people went up to the prophets in the days of Isaiah and it says, please prophesy lies and prophesy smooth things. Don't tell us truth. We, we, we don't want to hear truth. Give us lies. You know how many preachers preach lies today? You know how many preachers are not even converted? I pray to God every day that he continues to convert me and change my life. I still have problems. I'm still human. But when a preacher is departed, what happens to the church? If it belongs to God, it will continue. If God has reaped already what he needs to reap, uh, then he would let that church become like the apostate churches of the New Testament age. This Bible would have been a thin book 
had it not been for the rebelliousness of Israel and the rebelliousness of the New Testament saints that were serving God. Because of their rebelliousness, God sent them prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah. And guess what they did? They killed them all. And if today it was legal to stone a preacher, I'd be stoned a lot of times long ago. But I'm so glad it's not legal. You got, I got warned over everybody. You can kill me today, but you can kill my repetition. You can kill my credibility. And so the scripture says, John said, there was given to me a reed like unto rod. And he says, measure the temple and measure the altar, the sacrifices of the people. Your sacrifices to God, your giving and your support of the church, God blesses you because of that. You want an example? Here I am. I lead by example. And he has never let me down. He has blessed me and prospered me in many ways. But to saying, you mean he got a million dollars in the bank? You'll be supposed to, you'll be shocked to know what I don't have in the bank. But you know what? God makes a way. And when I, Elijah was in the wilderness and he could not find food, God sent a raven. To feed him. When people were not there to support him, God sent a raven. When this church was running into a financial situation last year, God sent a movie company. They wanted just to rent a HBO documentary, want to rent our dining room uh, to take care of. And they paid me, they paid us a check of $17,000. We should have had that in the bank sitting. No, no, no. We needed to spend that. To do renovations and things like that. When the people fail to support, God finds someone to support. I'm just telling you how you can get blessed or how God can just bypass you and find someone else to do the job. Don't let someone else take your place. When the people were praising God and say, Hosanna in the highest, Jesus was walking and they say, Hosanna in the highest, the Pharisees, why are they praising God? And Jesus said to them, if they would not praise me, God would let the stones raise up their voice and praise me. God bypasses people that are unable to do what he wants them to do and find people that will do that. Now, last thing I like to say, I had my Bible open, but I never use a scripture. Um, can someone tell me a verse of scripture that we used last night? Somebody used last night? Not the one I preached on. But that brother John or one of the brothers talked about last night. Somebody tell me one verse. Don't look at your notes. I remember things. Ah, Psalms 119. Thy word, Psalms 119 verse 8. Flash it up. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. David is writing that I might not sin against thee. The word of God must be hid in our heart that we might not sin against. Beautiful. This is the longest psalm in the Bible. And verse 1. Let me look at verse 1 for a moment here. I've got five minutes more left to go. And it says in verse 1, Psalms 119 verse 1. It says, uh, David is writing and it's, it's, he says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way 
who walk in the law of God. They live according to God's law. Verse 2. Uh, blessed are they that keep his testimonies, that is his commandments. Seek him with their, how much? Their whole heart. Not halfway, halfway. You know, when you guys are ready to find girlfriends and stuff, if you haven't found one, Raiden, I'm talking to you. When you're ready to find a girlfriend and stuff, and he says, I love you with a little piece of my heart. Is that what you tell her? I love you from the depths of my heart, not the pump. That's your emotions, your human emotions. I love you with all my heart. Liars do that all the time too. But we must serve God with our whole heart. Next verse. Move down quickly. Time is running out on me. They also do no iniquity. They don't worship God with a fabricated way of serving God. Make up their own little methods. Uh, to keep their, uh, they, thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. I'm going to keep God's precept diligently. Oh, that my ways are directed to keep thy statutes. Every verse in Psalms 119 has the word testimony or the law or his commandments or his precepts. Something to do with the law of God. Uh, verse 6, I'll be going down to verse 8 and then I'm quitting. Then, then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Mm -hmm. That is a beautiful chapter. Yes. He says, then I will praise, I will praise thee with, an, with uprightness of the heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. And then the verse I wanted that Sister Jasmine reminded us was, I will keep thy statutes and oh, forsake me, not verse, for, go on, go on, let's move them to verse 11. I'm going to finish here because time is running out on me. Verse 11, it says, he says, thy word have I hid in my heart. You see, when I listen to the messages and I listen to it, my senses are exercised because my hearing is there. I've read the scriptures. And I developed such a pre an appreciation for God. And I was telling someone that there will come a time when I would not sit down and even watch an ungodly uh, show on television. There's coming a time when family might not appreciate me because they might want to watch a nice show. And I said, I prefer not to. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law that he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this time we spent in your house. We pray, O oh God, that you'll be with us. Strengthen us. Let your word that we have heard today continue to be in our lives, Father. Guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name.